This episode of Film Spotting The Process is presented by the Academy Award-winning film 1917, available now on digital streaming and on Blu-ray and DVD March 24th. What kind of a show are you guys putting on here today? You're not interested in art? No. Well, look, we're going to do this thing. We're going to have a conversation. You're listening to Film Spotting. I'm Adam Kempinar. Over 15 years here on the show, we've talked with dozens of great artists about their craft, directing, writing, acting, editing, but we've never gotten the perspective of a visual effects supervisor, which is why I was excited to talk with Guillaume Rocheron, a two-time Oscar winner, most recently for his work on 1917. He also worked with James Gray last year on Ad Astra. We're going to hear from Rocheron on the many challenges posed by 1917's one-shot approach, his collaboration with director Sam Mendes, and director of photography Roger Deakins and more. But first, I thought it would be helpful to get a little background on the process of visual effects, one that begins long before a single frame is even shot. You know, there's some movies you'll hire number two. <laughs> you know, they have a director and then it's the visual effects supervisor before anybody else because the work really starts from the words on the page, right? And the stages of, of you know, kind of, designing and, and, and making visual effects is that, you know, you start from the script and you're like, okay, you know, the scene says, you know, we're in the middle of the ocean and, you know, there's a tanker that passes by and suddenly there's a raging storm or, you know, it could be anything. You're like, okay, you know, how do we do this? Can we go in the middle of the ocean? Or, you know, is it safe to shoot in a storm? Can we even remotely do it? Or, you know, you have a scene that is on top of the Everest. It's like, well, can you bring a camera crew on top of the Everest? You know, and I'm taking real world examples. You know, it could just be like, well, you know, we're in the, you know, International Space Station. <laughs> it's like, well, can we do this? And then, you know, from the, you know, the, what the story is requiring from the script and then the vision of the director, you start to break down, okay, how, how, how are we going to do it? What can we do for real? You know, can we build a set? Can we go shoot in a real location? Does it have to be entirely computer generated? Do we build a miniature? Uh, you know, you have to kind of tailor, you know, your approach based on what the script is, is, is requiring. And then you start working with all the other departments, you know, the production designer, the DP, you know, so you're kind of really crafting the best approach to, to, to do the work. And then, then you, you, you shoot the movie and then, you know, as, as the, as the visual effects supervisor, you know, on the shoot, you know, you're not really doing any live visual effects, even though that's something that we do more and more, but you're really here to make sure that if there's anything that is, has to change or that is unexpected, that you can still deliver on the plan that, you know, you kind of agreed on, uh, in, in pre-production. And then once you have that, you have the post-production time where you are actually now that the movie is shot and, you know, that's where the work is being produced and that's where, you know, I have my crew, uh, my team really producing all the, 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 the images, but we have to be involved from the get-go because, you know, you have to not only design it, but sometimes you have to invent new technology or sometimes you have to, you know, use, in, you know, unconventional methods to, to do things or sometimes you just have to be, you know, just problem solving, you know, very simple things. So it, it really starts very early on in the filmmaking process. You know, we're, I often joke that, you know, I'm generally one of the first on the movie and one of the last person <laughs> because, you know, we finish journey right, you know, before the release date because you use all the time that you have, right? It was a very simple idea, really. 
two men carrying a message. And I felt that every footstep, every step of the journey, breathing every breath with them, felt integral to the material. Blake, let's talk about this for a minute. Why? If we're not clever about this, no one will get to your brother. I will. It's a very personal story, and you wanted to be kind of intimate with the characters. So the story lent itself to this concept of it being one shot. From page one, scene one, we knew that the challenges were when you go to a new scene, how do you get in and out of scenes in an interesting way? We start behind them. Sam Mendes, Roger Deakins, and co-screenwriter Christy Wilson-Cairns from one of the 1917 Blu-ray bonus features talking about the very simple idea, not at all simply executed, behind the film. Guillaume Rocheron, like the soldiers Schofield and Blake, was handed a mission with no room for failure. This is a movie that starts with two guys getting a mission and it's a very difficult one it's a very challenging one they don't really have any choice but they accept it uh, obviously the stakes weren't as high for you but when you got handed this mission uh, what was your reaction you had to know that it was going to be a, a challenge with a lot of obstacles yes very much but well it, it was kind of daunting and exciting at the same time right because it was you know conceived from the get-go and from the script stages as you know, being a one-shot movie. You know, one-shot movies have been attempted and done previously, but what was very particular about the, the this movie, it was just the, the journey and the fact that, you know, our characters were walking through war landscapes. So it was not like a closed-off environment. It was like, an, you know, a pretty epic journey through the battlefields of the, of the First World War. You know, I've been doing visual effects for 20 years now, and you know, all everything you learn and all the tricks that you learn out is to work with a cut, right? And my job, you know, when I design and, and execute visual effects on a movie is to suspend disbelief, right? And making sure that you know the audience thinks that whatever they're seeing either is real or resonates as you know having an emotional impact. Um, but the way you do it is you work with cuts, right? So you have to kind of make your magic trick work for a shot that, you know, generally is like two seconds, four seconds, or 10 seconds sometimes, or, you know, 20 seconds if you have a very ambitious long shot in a movie. But then as soon as there's a cut, then, you know, your, the brain of your viewer kind of resets and then you can just, you know, you change your angle and then, you know, you can work on a new magic trick, right? With a one-shot movie, because there were no cuts or you know visible cuts, whatever we were we were creating has to kind of sustain scrutiny for very long periods of time. Like you know when our characters are crossing no man's land, for example, you know there's a you know, there's a, a real partial set that was created, but you know there's also a completely synthetic environment, digital environment in the background, and then there's planes and then rats and and tanks and you know elements that we added, but you know, at, at all time in the frame, you see a piece of digital environment and the sequence is, you know, seven and a half minutes long. And in that sequence, you're basically looking at the environment for seven and a half minutes long. And at no point, the audience can detect that they're looking at something that is part real and part digital. So, you know, some of the best compliments I get on the movie is when people actually are surprised that there are any visual effects in the film.
I want to say how wonderful it's been to watch everybody be so collaborative across so many different departments, and that's the nature of this film. And it's very moving for me personally to watch it happen. This was a totally different project. Knowing the one-shot approach was there from the beginning and how difficult that was going to be, did you have to collaborate even closer, perhaps, with the director, Sam in this case, with Roger Deakins as the director of photography, maybe than you ever had before? Absolutely, because, you know, the, the, the one-shot movie, you have to make sure that the way you connect the shots together is absolutely not only seamless technically, but seamless stylistically. So... You know, when Roger designs all the, you know, the camera work on the film, uh, you have to make sure that when you do your transition, you're, you're not betraying the, you know, the creative intent on how you film the movie and, you know, how the cameras are moving from, you know, A to B. So it required really a tight collaboration because Roger designed all the camera work on the movie. So, you know, the camera was not a, was not a third character, but, you know, we were right with the, you know, the... The, the two soldiers um, and in post-production you know when we did some of the transitions you know we used you know completely digital shots and you know some digital characters and some you know digital kind of like camera work so whenever we did that you know it was really helpful to you know be able to have Roger there and just you know making sure that he felt that you know the the, the, the camera work and you know the lighting the digital lighting and the digital camera work was something that he would have done as well, you know, if we could have done it for real, right? And he felt that if he was coherent with, with the rest of the film. You know, some, some transitions, like in No Man's Land, there's a transition where, you know, the two soldiers are kind of getting out of uh, one of the trench. And, you know, we had to do a transition because Roger had to use a techno crane, you know, when, when, when they were in the trench to kind of like pushing behind them in like very smoothly. But then when they were walking on the open terrain, they had to be another camera rig so, so we could follow them over long distances. So we had to do a blend there. But to get that blend perfect, you know, we kind of transition from one shot real to a digital shot with, you know, digital characters and a digital background to then another real shot. And, you know, the transition is probably like three and a half seconds or something like this, but it took us probably like three months or four months of work to get it to be absolutely seamless and perfect. I wanted the dawn to be coming up as well. So we shot this uh, evening, rehearsing until the light was right. The camera's now pulling back on a technocrane that's on a tracking vehicle. The position of that fire was very deliberately put there. Again, it's a, actually a light source, but the flames have been CG'd in. And here we're shooting towards the dusk, which we now is our dawn. Some of the structures here are put in CG-wise in the background, but most of it is the same set we've been in for a while. Here, the camera comes down with him at a certain point. It's, it morphs into a CG element of uh, George that we shot on a wire. And now we're on, on uh, water, a river up in uh, side mainly. The backgrounds and the foregrounds. Roger Deakins there from his Blu-ray commentary track, taking you through one of the more intense moments in 1917, Schofield's waterfall jump. For Rocheron, it was his visual effects team's single biggest challenge. Even if when things go according to plan, you know, the plans are not always perfect. <laughs> so, you know, there's, there's another example when, you know, Schofield runs into the burning city at night and then he jumps off that bridge and then he ends up, you know, in the river. And, you know, our original plan was like, well, you know, we're going to 
you know, shoot him in the in the town and then jump over a little wall. And you know, obviously, the the what's interesting is that the the town has been shot in Shepperton Studio in London, and then you know the river sequence was shot you know 150 miles away from that location in like a, a canoe training center that was made for the Olympics. You know, so there was no bridge, and the two locations were just not you know connected to each other. Um, so we always knew that we had to do a transition and, you know, create a bridge and, you know, create the moment where Schofield was, was jumping. But, you know, the, the first intent was like, well, you know, we can shoot him, you know, kind of running in the, you know, the city and jumping over the wall. And then we can shoot him in a river and then we'll shoot an element of him against a blue screen, uh, a green screen for that matter on, you know, what we call a descender rig. Uh, and then we'll be able to use a real element of him. And then when we assembled it, he felt that, you know, the shot was working technically because, you know, we had all the various elements to assemble it, but stylistically, he felt that the camera operator was not jumping with him because, uh, you know, we went from a very organic camera work, uh, you know, from Roger to follow him when he was running. Same thing when he was in the river, but then, you know, to do the fall, we had to use another rig to kind of drop the camera at incredible speed. Um, and it just felt too mechanical. And, you know, we kind of had to change our approach because we're like, well, really the only way to make this work is to uh, transition to a digital shot so we can actually control the camera during the jump, which was impossible to shoot because there was just simply no bridge. And, you know, it was impossible for an actor to also jump from a bridge that high into, you know, a river, you know, that dangerous. So... You know, we had to invent that moment, but we just had to change our approach, not because we could make it CG, but it was because it was the best way to stylistically just really feel that the camera operator was jumping with him and, you know, going into that river. So as Schofield kind of like runs and pushes off onto that wall, we transition to a completely digital actor. Uh, as you know, his leg is kind of like pushing off the wall, and then we transition to a completely digital shot at that moment. So then you know we can control the fall, and we can control the camera move, and then he lands into the river. You know there were so many kind of little elements to you know that require you know great attention to detail and a lot of things to problem solve. There is only one way this ends: last man standing. I'm going. Nineteen seventeen, the winner of three Academy Awards, including Best Visual Effects, Cinematography, and Sound Mixing, is available now on digital streaming and March twenty fourth on four K and Blu ray. There is a commentary track, as you heard by Roger Deakins, by Sam Mendes as well, and a whole host of bonus content with. COVID-19 throwing off the new movie release calendar for a while. Film Spotting has an alternative programming plan in place. Our next episode will feature a discussion of Betty Davis in Of Human Bondage from 1934, the first film in our four-film Davis Marathon. Plus, we've got the top five films of the 1930s. We'll also continue looking at eight films from one of the best movie years, 1984. Plus, a new series, Oeuvre Review. You heard me, not overview, Oeuvre Review, a clever 
title suggestion from a film spotting listener for our retrospective looking at Christopher Nolan's filmography in anticipation of his upcoming film, Tenet. Learn more and listen to shows, including past interviews, at filmspotting.net. Let's close with this. As I said at the top, this was my first conversation on air or off with a visual effects supervisor. It's a specific aspect of filmmaking I have no solid foundation in, and I'm guessing that's true for many of you as well. So I was curious about Rocheron's path to visual effects. When he was first starting to get into cinema, what films inspired him? I kind of grew up on, on you know, watching Star Wars and, you know, obviously watching, you know, uh, Jurassic Park. And I've always loved movies like Lawrence of Arabia, you know, those great epics. And, I, you know, I always had that kind of like admiration for, for, for movies. But, you know, I think for me, it's the way I got into visual effects is I, I started to do short films. Um, and, you know, by making little short films at home uh, on the computer, I got hired or I got a job offer to you know, work in visual effects. And I kind of discovered the, the, the world of, you know, what it is to, to, to work on a movie and using computers to create art, right? Um, and, you know, that was, that was a very interesting path for me because when I was growing up in France, you know, I would have never imagined that you know, work on the movie was was a possibility. <laughs> it was just like so far, you know, kind of removed from you know, and I was so impressed by it. But I got into into you know, creating short films on you know that were computer generated because I just loved storytelling and I was not very good at drawing, so I was picking up you know photography, which is one of my passion, and you know, using technology to kind of tell story and create images on the computer. So that's kind of how I slowly kind of transitioned into making visual effects. And, you know, I, for me, it's like it becomes, you know, more and more interesting because visual effects now allow you to really um, create some unique stories. You know, it's, you know, you can use them as a commodity to, you know, just create whatever you need to create because, you know, you need to construct a movie, you know, every movie has visual effects now, um, you know, even romantic comedies, you know, it's like there's like a certain amount of visual effects in them. Um, but I think, you know, there's no whole realm of possibilities for filmmakers and directors and, you know, to kind of pretty much have no limits in terms of the, how they want to tell the story. And I think that's, that's a really fascinating thing because it all comes down to storytelling. And I think, you know, that's where I kind of enjoy my, my work the most is like when you can, you know, design work that is really contributing to tell a story under, you know, like, like it hasn't been done before or under a different angle, you know, or a different perspective, you know, and that's very much linked to the vision of the director. Well, uh, this was very enlightening, and I, I really appreciate your time. And I also wanted to say I, Ad Astra was also one of my favorite films of last year. So congrats on the work on that film as well. Thank you. Thank you so much. This conversation can serve no purpose anymore. Goodbye.